Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. My name is Faisal Khan and I'm here with my main man, Brian Romley. Brian, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Good morning to you, sir. Uh, Great to be back. Uh, We had a bit of a hiatus and... uh, Wonderful to hear your voice again. How you been? Yes, I've been good. I've been behaving myself. There's a lot that's been happening since we've been off the mic. So let's just get things rolling. What do you think about the ICO market? I know we have discussed this behind the scenes, but how about what's your opinion now that it you know it seems everyone wants to do a token sale? Uh, token sales are inevitable, but now countries are clamping down because they feel that this might become a tulip mania or something like that, and it needs to be regulated. Your opinion, especially, consider- especially considering China. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, uh, great insights there, Faisal. You know, we talked about this way, way back in the early shows. At that time, we were calling them new coins or alt coins. And then we call them contract ledgers and Ethereum and things like that. So now they're ICOs, essentially all the same thing, uh, with the intent being somewhat different, perhaps. The difficulty that the ICO marketplace that we talked about in a few shows is that ultimately is going to have to see regulation. We form governments so that we have the rights of individuals and groups in some uh, states uh, regulated and protected. Um, you know, and we could span the spectrum between zero regulation to full regulation, and most reasonable people find some middle ground between these two and hopefully closer to less regulation. And the reason for the ICO is really a premise about the democratization of finance. And this started maybe as far back as the Knights Templar and the spice trades and the silk uh, routes, and uh, most definitely with the Dutch and their shipping empires with the formation of insurance. Insurance in that epoch was really an investment vehicle that would yield a tremendous amount of return. Uh, on on both outcomes, either returning or not returning ships um, uh, to small individual entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurial and business revolution started with the Dutch finance system that formed the very first stock markets. And it was very democratized, but over time it became more and more and more regulated and less and less individuals could participate in the great gains. 
there was never a moment in time with stock markets where individuals weren't able to throw their money up and make sometimes maybe some good gains, but never the great gains that maybe an IPO or or a VC of today uh, would make during an IPO. And a lot of the reasoning was very simple. You're just not smart enough, average person, to make these decisions. And we don't want you to risk your money because you're going to lose it. And let somebody else at the big boy and big girl table make these decisions for you. And you get to get the scraps after the company IPOs. And if you wait 20, 30 years, maybe you'll make a 100% return or something on your investment. The ICO offers to change this democracy and democratize it where individuals of almost no means, you know, I know people who take $25 out of a paycheck and invest it in Bitcoin. Some of those folks are up 50 to $100,000 and they have meager, uh, you know, meager amounts invested in Bitcoin. Um, the same is going to be held true with ICOs. And the one thing that technology has taught us is that it's democratized access to information. It's democratized our ability to maybe understand much better than we ever have before because our news is generated instantly by us, not by a mediated party. And it's no accident that access to underwriting new financial instruments are going to democratize in the same level. That is the premise of the ICO. So the Chinese government, rightly so, looked at this and said, well, you know, we need to regulate this. We're not sure if any of these are even valid. We don't have any way of measuring this. And so I'm not saying the Chinese government is going to be the best mediator of measuring this, but I can say this. They are going to try, and hopefully I think they're going to take their time. I hope they do because the, the more time they they think about this, the less of a knee-jerk reaction takes place and perhaps the better outcome for everybody involved. So I think they're going to take their time, consider how to regulate this correctly, consider what a white paper is and what disclosure really should be. What are you investing in? And what is maybe even an anticipated return might be uh, under worst case and best case scenarios. Some people are not very clear that they could lose 100% of principal. Some people aren't clear that they could not gain anything if the product that they think that they're underwriting takes off and does exceedingly well. So clarity is important. I would say to anybody in the ICO yeah, that, community. Yeah, that's, that's very important. Yeah, that's yeah. very that's very important because not many people are cognizant that this is not an investment into the shares of the company. It doesn't give you ownership. It doesn't give you voting rights. Some You're do, basically though, but some don't. Buying- some, some do, but most most don't. Most don't, exactly. right? Um, uh, for example, Mike Jones's uh, company, Science, that we you know interviewed a couple of weeks ago, their company will be giving shares and so forth. But like you know, many others, they're not. They're just giving you uh, pellets for the gun, basically. And what that gun does, no one knows. Uh, and but but the thing about the Chinese is, you know, they went for an outright ban, and now we're hearing things like. Well, we will license it. So what happens in the interim period between the ban and the license itself? Uh, What are we talking about, you know, where, where I guess a couple of firms have now been given the option or other, maybe their hands have been uh, 
uh, tied behind their backs and 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 really arm twisting and, and and they have to return the money now. Yeah, yeah. This is um, something I've anticipated. Also, um, it's the right thing to do because the the individuals involved don't want to be a subject of criminal investigation and reversing out what they did is probably a good idea than running absconding with it or ignoring, uh, you know, regulatory uh, agencies. You know, this is going to happen around the world. It's unfortunately for the ICO market is probably going to be longer than what most people would want. Uh, and again, I say that it's a good thing that people take time and consider this and not knee jerk reaction. Um, in the United States specifically, you know, it's pretty clear that um, uh, U.S. financial regulators see it as a security and um, would hold anybody accountable that creates an ICO to that uh, standard. Um, and it's pretty clear that there are going to be territorial fiefdoms whenever you have a regulatory agency created. Their job is to self-sustain is to make sure that there are reasons for them to exist into the future. Uh, for nobody wants to become the postal agency, quote unquote. I hear that a lot with people inside the government. We don't want to become the postal agency where we become less and less relevant. And so regulatory agencies take a life of their own for better or for worse. And um, the unfortunate side effect could be the democratization of finance um, may take a delay. Uh, and it may force other scenarios to arise in the market where individuals can determine their, uh, you know, their self-direction in this new marketplace. Uh, I, I think, I, I think it's going to be slow, but I think it's going to happen. What are your thoughts, Faisal? Well, I'm, I'm mixed, but I, I was concerned by a pre-show comment that you made that there will be. An example made. There will be a Charlie Shrem uh, of the ICOs. There will be someone who would be made the scapegoat, someone to set the precedence and show that the United States government is pretty serious about this and will not tolerate um, unlicensed or unfeathered territory and where you go and raise money, you know, like this with U.S. customers without being licensed as a security dealer in the United States. Your, your comments on, on, on that thought. It's worrisome and it's a hundred percent likelihood because that's how the things always happen. And, um, there's going to be the right, um, right occurrence of events that will make whoever that person or group is, uh, to become the perfect poster child of why regulation needs to take place. Um, I feel sorry for the people that get caught in that. And, um, but that's how. It's always been throughout history. If you study history long enough, every law, every major regulation, in fact, I can use one word and you'll know exactly who it is and what it means, Ponzi. And when we say that word, it became a poster child for security regulation. And, you know, there's a lot of it for the listener. You can actually go out and study this gentleman in much more detail and you'll find that there's not so clear cut cases in most of these examples. In fact, history has a way of forgiving <laughs> some of these things. And some of the stuff that took place in that epoch 
is considered normal and natural today. But yet, unfortunately, we still have the term Ponzi scheme, and it's used quite a bit in the legal circles. It's used quite a bit by yeah, regulators. Yeah. And if you're sitting in front of a judge... Quite a, quite a bit by your state prosecutor as well. Yeah, if you're sitting in front of a judge and the yeah. prosecutor is saying, Ponzi scheme, you're 25 years right there, 25 years. And that may or may not be true. Uh, the, the term money laundering, same thing. It, it does not matter. These are terminologies that have exceedingly powerful effects on people. In fact, I would say those two words used together on anybody, whether earned or not, is a life sentence. It is. And it, we it, live it, in it almost reminds me of, yeah, it almost reminds me of this quote by uh, Jean Jacques, who said, you know, man is born free, but then he lives forever in chains, you know? Yeah, so, you know, and, and I, I think the ICO market is uh, pretty much like can be summed up like that. Well, and and some may argue that's what Bitcoin is. I mean, you know, uh, and and all all of this, all these currencies. In fact, you want to know something very interesting. If you study the insurance market uh, that created uh, the industrial revolution, if most of those investments that formed trillions of dollars of capital were held to the same standard in the United States today, 99.99% of all of the actors would be in jail with those two terms I just used. That is a fact. In fact, most of the Industrial Revolution in the United States at the turn of the century, most of those individuals, the people that gave us automobile and lighting, most of those individuals would be in jail under those determinations. So we have to be careful for the laws and the regulation that we wish for. Um, there are, you heard very clearly, uh, I stated that there are reasons for regulations and regulators. That's what we do in organized governments. There's also reasons for people to perpetuate their, uh, their uh, advocation and their profession. And one of the best ways to perpetuate that is to always have a dark closet and a dark uh, space under the bed where there's a boogeyman, and you gotta—it's got to be ugly, it's got to be perfect to scare everybody, and that's what we do in the world. That's the world we live in, and I just hope people listening understand that and understand that that's the way it works. We can get mad or happy for it, be on either side of this. If you're pro this or anti that, fine, pick your sides. Um, that in and of itself is part of the whole process. But the reality is uh, one man's uh, Ponzi scheme is another – in this epoch is another man's entire financial epicenter that created the Industrial Revolution. You know, and, and we can, we can make the same claims about medicine. We could, well, the snake oil, well, the turns, well, that guy's selling snake oil. Turns out that in that snake oil, in fact, was something that's being used today to cure cancer. I mean, we can go back and forth and look at all these determinations and how we label people. And a lot of people don't want to do that because it messes with their state of reality. We like the label because it is a symbolic shorthand to, to show us what good and bad is so that we don't need to think about it and we can get back on a couch and watch the game and slug another beer. Uh, but in reality, there are people on the ground that are moving humanity forward. The, democrati the democratization of investment is going to move forward, kicking and screaming. 
uh, or with people moving along happily. It is a manifest destiny. Um, I hope that there, there are no victims in the process, but there will be. The very first show that we use the term ICO, I warned everybody. I said, there are full-on criminals that will surface inside of this community, and they will wind up impacting it in a very negative way. I won't use the word criminals, but I'll definitely use the word nefarious or conniving people because there are now, uh, you know, I just for purposes of disclosure, I was involved with an ICO and I still am. It's an uh, called Everix. I believe in it because it's cross-border stuff that I know about. And because of that, you know, we raised $26 million. And because of that successful raise, uh, people now send me their, you know, ICO proposals. I have to look at it. And I can't help but say that some of them or a vast majority of those proposals are nothing but con schemes, schemes that have been thought up in the bedroom, how we can get rich over this wave, how I can suddenly make some coin or some token and it'll do this. Absolutely ridiculous stuff, right? Uh, I'll make a movie token and the movie token will do this and we'll raise $30 million off, you know. And I say, well, I don't think so. This has any merit. Well, screw that. We'll make use the same name and do something else. And I'll make a pink token, and the pink token will do this. It'll fight for women's rights. We'll make a token. What the fuck does that mean? You know, make a token, a token sale for women's right on the blockchain. I mean, I yeah. can't understand it. And and fifty million dollars they're going to raise. You know, they're hoping they want to raise a hundred million dollars. It's it's just absurd. Uh, you know, I, I feel that some people are going to get burnt really, really bad. But the fact that they are doing crowdfunding, that's the fact. So if I decide to put buy even one Ethereum, you know, fine, okay, I may lose $300 and that's okay. But the fact that they're getting it for 40, from 50,000 people is what worries me. Well, that's always the reasoning behind consumer regulation, right? The premise is that those that are not informed don't know what they're doing with their money. Yet I live in a part of Southern California where there are dozens of casinos now. And I see these people that um, spend a tremendous amount of time at the casinos. And, you know, some of them are friends. And I say, what do you derive out of this? And the very rational ones say, listen, I put aside this much of my income for entertainment. And I don't go out to movies. I don't go out and do this or do that. I entertain myself by being at these casinos. And if I get some of what I put out back, that's great. It's a form of entertainment. And one could argue that a lot of investments can, in fact, be a form of entertainment. Yes, ostensibly, you want a return on investment, of course. But there are no guarantees that you're going to take another breath let alone the entire economic infrastructure will ex- exist a few minutes from now. I can, and we've talked off show a lot of reasons how that could happen. And I don't want to scare anybody, but you know, everything that we know can change. So you can start from that extreme case to, I want to guarantee return on my investment. Good. Go to the bank. And well, that's not even guaranteed. And by the way, half an interest, uh, half a percent interest. Good luck with that. You know, so one, makes determinations on the return on their investment. Some people see a casino as an investment. I know some people from Asia that take one third of their income and invest it in casino gambling, and they're quite happy with that. 
And some of them are very logical about their returns. And some of them see more, more better returns than if they were in the stock market. So who are, who is anybody to say what is an investment? What I think we should be really focusing on is, you know, whether or not something is done to not disclose, whether something is done to obscure and to occult what's truly going on. And, you know, one doesn't necessarily know that. In fact, sometimes people do things for really good reasons, but ex post facto can be painted to look like they are a maniacal criminal. There are a lot of people filling the jails for financial crimes that literally didn't necessarily know they were doing anything wrong. Um, there was a woman, uh, that was known, I'm trying to remember her name here, uh, uh, that went to jail for insider trading, um, the TV show. Oh gosh. Uh, oh, Martha, Martha. Uh, yeah. Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart. Right. You know, did, did she absolutely know what she was doing was so no, profoundly no, illegal? No. But the fact is, you know, it, it was like jaywalking there. It's a law. You break it, you know, they can make an example. Yeah, so, so one could argue who's going to be the Martha Stewart of all this, right? Because if, if somebody like Martha Stewart can go down, I, I'm certain anybody else listening to my voice can go down. So let's, let's look at this very practically. Um, you, you really have to look at it from every angle. As far as an investor, as far as I'm concerned, and I've said this in every single show, if you're going to put money into anything, be prepared to lose it. That is a fact. That is a fact of life. Even if you hold cash, be prepared to lose it. It could burn. It could be a thousand different things can happen to it. That is the reality of value creation, you know? And we, we really have to get a, a, a hold of that when we regulate. We somehow think that there are certain hard as rock institution, things aren't going to go away. Yes, that is true. Very, there's, there's the likelihood and there's a probability, but there is also the reality that nothing is solid, you know, even gold, even silver. And we talked about how I can bring an asteroid to a uh, uh, geostationary orbit and completely decimate the precious metals market. And it does not require anything new to be invented. Can do it right at this moment with Elon Musk or anybody else, NASA. Uh, in fact, who knows? It may be happening already. Yeah, yeah. So, the possibility so exists. Yeah. yeah. So nothing is solid, and 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 that's what I hope when people look at this, keep an eye on. You know, if somebody is in the art of regulating, I hope that they take a bit yeah, of a step my, and look at their grandchildren and great grandchildren and say, <laughs> "What am I going to bring about here? If I overly regulate this, have I, I given to, them? Am I going to choke?" innovation yeah have i given them the ability that the american dream was built upon that somebody of no means can rise up to somebody of means because of their ability to tolerate and take risk right and mm. i don't want to remove that and i think if you have integrity you, when you look at this you you hold on to that thought as well as you look at maybe an innocent grandma whose retirement funds could be absconded you know the thing about it is the chances of an innocent grandma throwing their funds in there without seeing the red lights are very nil. And the chances of somebody taking a high risk in hopes that they can lift themselves and their family and another generation a little higher than their manual labor life. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that that's seen because that's what this is about. You know, when, when people start deifying all this, 
It's about what you and I, whoever you are and whoever I am listening to this, all wants for their children and their grandchildren. They want a better life. And they know instinctively that a risk must come to make a better life. And hopefully that risk is not hurting somebody else in the process. That is what we generally look at as maybe a criminal activity, that there's a willful desire to hurt somebody in the process. But if you're doing it with a clear mind and as much information as can be possible, then I think it's great. But the reality is, just like I've said for a long time, you know, there are going to be people who would be otherwise considered innocent that may be swept up in this. What does it look yeah. like in your part of the world, Faisal? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it's pretty clean right now, but, you know, the, the, the mania is still being fueled. I will say one thing, because we have to move on to other topics, is that, you know, buyer beware, investor beware. If you don't understand the white paper, if you don't understand what is going on, if you don't understand how this quote-unquote token will be used, how it will play, what rights you have, please do not invest. Yes, it looks all nice on the screen when you go to coin market cap and you see that the damn thing is up, you know, 18% since, yes, since yesterday, but it could also go down to zero. The prices that you're seeing that are rising in Ethereum and Bitcoin is because the only way to buy these tokens is through Bitcoin and Ethereum. And what do you think when all these 100, 200, 500 altcoins decide to sell their tokens? They will also go through Ethereum and Bitcoin, and that's when the prices will crash, maybe even more so. So please be very careful when you invest. Only invest if you really understand the business. We are not investors. We are certainly not investment guides over here, but we will caution if you don't understand it, don't do it. Absolutely, Faisal. Much news about uh, about all this, uh, about consumers and everything. Um, have you heard about what took place at Experian over the last couple of months? Experience or Equifax? Oh, sorry, Equifax. Equifax, Equifax, not Experience. Experience is the other one. Sorry yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, so I guess, so huge thing, 170 some million People who there, so so for, for for those who don't know, there are three uh, credit scoring agencies in the United States: uh, Equifax, TRW, and uh, Experian. No, well, Experian does the, do credit monitoring also. Okay, but 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 they're basically the three ones, and one of them got hacked, and 170 million, approximately, give or take. Uh, data of Americans and their credit scores, which are highly, highly, you know, uh, credit history and scoring mechanisms and all that. About 170 million Americans, which is highly confidential, is now supposedly in the hand of someone else. So, coming to this, my first question is, who's going to go to jail for this? It's a good question. Um, Who will be the Charlie Shrem for the Equifax hack? Well... Let's let's take a couple of steps back before I get to that. Um, great question, though, Faisal. All right. First off, uh, we have TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. These are the, the the big three, and these companies take information from merchants, credit grantors, and banks, 
And they hold this in trust so that they can establish some sort of credit score based upon a pooling of information amongst desperate parties. And in the early days of credit, there was no way before there were easily accessible personal computers, there was no way for a, say, a small merchant who wanted to grant um, uh, credit for an in-store credit card to know whether or not this person was a bad actor because a bank was getting bouncing checks and um, maybe loans that weren't paid off, car loans and mortgages. So the premise of credit reporting was very simple, was create a centralized database uh, without the permission of the consumer. By the way, the consumer doesn't ever say, okay, Equifax, keep a database. These are uh, individual corporations that have pooled together reporting relationships. And these companies in the early days had access to mainframe computers, which gave them a sort of a monopoly. Uh, in doing this because it costs a lot of time and money to build these databases and make them instantly available. Flash forward to today. These are trust agencies by every type of definition. And when we look at all of the hacking that has been taking place over the last um, 20 years, we just automatically assume that somehow TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian would have somehow like a Fort Knox, you know, wall that nobody could ever penetrate. Certainly, maybe a few IDs could be stolen, uh, but to have the entire pies being stolen of 50% or more of the okay, let me ask you. Let me ask, losing population. Let me ask you a very important question. Let yeah. me sorry I keep uh, breaking in. Let me ask you a very important question. What happens if this data becomes public? It is. Give me the damage. No, okay, the damage. It's already what being happens sold. Then? Already being sold well, on, on well, the hacker market. Right now you and I can't download it. I mean what happens then? Well, at some point it's going to be available for everybody to look at. And so the impact is the social security number and the personal identifying information, PI information, is no longer the gold standard of being able to verify. Now, some may argue that, hold it, Brian, there are other ways we do um, uh, identity checks. We we ask about semi-public information like, did you own a blue Ford in 1997? Uh, what was the first school that you went to? Uh, was this street near a street where you lived in uh, 2017 or 2012 or whatever? The, these are other, there are other forms of question answers, but an actor with a determination to falsify your identity can in fact derive this information more and more as the days move forward. The gold standard was mother's maiden name, now gone, open to the public, uh, home address, open to the public, social security number, open to the public, at least through the uh, Equifax release, and um, some other identifying information, the things that you would normally put on a bank application, a merchant application, or anything else. So literally, Monday morning, uh, tomorrow, uh, there are banks... And there are loan officers and there are merchant processing companies, if they have a clue, meeting saying our boarding processes now need to change.
So the, the, the end result to the Equifax leak will be a multi-trillion dollar impact to the United States economy because of a number of things. Number one, enhanced verification. I mean, right now, locking down your ID doesn't do anything because it's already out there. If you're one of the 50 percentile, if you're the other 50 percentile, you might as well assume it's out there. Uh, there, I, I don't want to get into inside information. It was just a matter of time before they got to the rest, and they may have. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not advocating either way. Uh, they were inside of Equifax computers for days, maybe weeks. That has already been presented by the company. It was not immediately identified. And um, th- this could be in others also. But again, I don't want to speculate. I'm just saying as a consumer listening, that's a prospect. So as a loan officer, as a bank who must underwrite by KYC, know your customer, you now are at the point where KYC is different. Now, that's physical space. In a virtual space, it's orders of magnitude more complex. All of the, identif- all the identifiers can be f- uh, fraudulent at this point. It could make a completely, uh, you know, innocuous or easy boarding process into a process where a consumer will not want to board for a merchant account or a loan online. And why do I bring those two things on? Because those are the processes that have been, I would say, most attacked by startups. You know, the startups came into the loan and um, and merchant processing industry and took it by storm by streamlining and shortening the uh, approval process and the boarding process. And they were able to do that by using more modern technologies and more modern uh, systems to bring somebody aboard. And then a lot of it was risk management media, mediation ex post facto. Okay, this guy seems to, gal seems to be who they are and we'll let them in and they can start doing things. But that idea falls apart when there are 145 million IDs out there. We call this the cut of a thousand knives, and I saw it in the merchant processing industry uh, over the 35-odd years I've done it before. A lot of young merchant processing companies, even PayPal, hadn't seen the, the, the brunt of this, but trust me, they will. What this means is, yeah, this person's coming in. They're only going to be able to do 100 or $200 before we shut them down. 145 million. Imagine an organized attempt to go after, I don't know, any young merchant account processing company and process the credentials that they got illicitly and the credit they got illicitly through a merchant account across thousands of these. It is a nightmare. And of course, that's one scenario, and I'm very close to that. The other scenario is thousands and thousands and millions of loans. They don't have to be large. They just have to be microloans. Now, that is a real possibility. Take a step back. Now you're the underwriter. and You have to somehow fix this. You're a security officer. Uh, you're the KYC officer. You have to try to somehow make sense of all this. And the only thing that's going to happen is a slowdown of productivity. Uh, a likelihood, I hope, that the boarding processes change. Because your social security number, last four digits, or anything, and knowing, you know, mother's mating name, or knowing what street, you know, your grandmother once lived on, all those things are no longer going to be personally identifiable information that can qualify identity of the user. So, 
we now live in a world where essentially what we had thought would have been, or wrongly or rightly, would have been a relatively good way of identifying somebody has now gone wrong. And so the compounding effect to this is the lost opportunity, the lost productivity, and the oncoming regulatory impact that this Equifax hack created. This means trillions of dollars of new infrastructure and new procedures that will, in some ways, be very burdensome to existing business plans. Mm. Does that make sense, Faisal? Which, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which was my, what was going to be my next question. Will the rule book, the playbook, be rewritten? And if so, how long will it take for the industry to come together? And number two, in the interim period, how do we mitigate the damage that's going to be done? Because, because damage will be done. Yes, and we might as well assume that no matter where you're hearing my voice, what part of the world, that this will impact you one way or the other, either indirectly or directly. Directly, maybe your credit bureaus and your personal identifiable information was and will be hacked, matter of time. Um, uh, but uh, directly, absolutely in the United States, you might as well assume that it's been hacked. So you look at it, the very first thing that's going to happen is – as I said before, the people whose job it is to mitigate the risk of the company, the companies that they're working for, and if they're publicly traded companies, they better really document how they're doing this and not just say, well, business as usual, Monday morning. Uh, they're going to have to rethink their processes. And like I said, easy online boarding processes where you're just kind of breezing through and you got yourself credit, you got yourself a merchant account, those are going to have to change. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't care how much you say that we will take the loss. When you're a publicly traded company, you can't make that claim anymore. You're now taking that loss for your shareholders and the board of directors. And if the board of directors are not fiduciarily looking at the impact of what this has created, you're going to see a bad end of the rainbow to this. So, Should they pay the ransom? I'm sorry, got cut off there? Should they pay the ransom? Um, I believe it's already out there, uh, already being utilized. Um, I've heard about ransoms, but I don't know if that's fully been um, uh, fully been confirmed. Is there a confirmation that that is exactly what Equifax says it is? I don't know, but uh, you know, a lot of news sources are saying that they've asked for I don't know how many million dollars in bitcoins. Well, and, let's, let's, uh, let's look at this way. If in fact that's true. And you don't pay that ransom. You've already broken the trust as far as if I was Equifax. That's just the reality. The reality is, yes, it's criminal. And oh no, we don't give in to, uh, you know, give in to ransom. The reality is, if in fact they have assurances that they pay that ransom and it doesn't go back into the wild, yeah, you better pay it. Yeah. How will this data be utilized by? States and institutions that are outside the United States that would like to have a leverage on the United States. This is personal data of 170, I don't know, 140, 170 million people. It's a great question. It's even more deeply speculative. But yes, what it essentially does is it, you know, we're moving to a world where there it can be assumed that there, anything you've ever written, uh, you know, on the internet, uh, anything 
any footprint you've ever generated in the modern world electronically through finance is equally known to everybody. Now, some people feel that that's a good thing or a bad thing. That is the reality. You might as well assume that. So if you've said something in private and you think that it'll forever stay private, I have a quantum computer that tells you otherwise. No matter what your password is, no matter what security you've used, it will become public in our lifetime. Rest assured. This is a fact. The only thing that can fight a quantum computer in decoding any encryption algorithms that we have right at this moment is another quantum computer creating a quantum algorithm. And even then, there's questions about how the fortifications of that can be can be done. And I'm not saying this as um, as an amateur watching from a side. I literally uh, work within quantum computing code, and I understand clearly the physics that are behind it. So no matter what happens— Because you were also a physicist. Well, I can't, I can't make that claim because I don't have initials after my first, uh, after my last name or anything before my first name. But anything I think you study for 35 years, I don't know what that gives you. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, an interested amateur? I don't know. Call me whatever. Just call me dumb about it. But the bottom line of it is that is a fact of life. And so reality is this is a longer arc conversation about privacy and what we believe privacy is and is going to be. And about our crude attempts to try to believe that somehow the little locks that we put on the box, right? If you go back to ancient Egypt and you go back to Samaria, there are different things that they thought nobody would ever be able to figure out or break. Uh, it's to certain levels they're right. They, they certainly have definitely decoded the, the three to seven levels of what hieroglyphs really mean, all right? We only know maybe one or two levels. I mean, thank God but, for the Rosetta Stone, right? Well, Rosetta Stone only gave us access to one level of meaning. There's seven levels of meaning, uh, clearly, uh, that the Egyptians knew. And, and uh, that part, at least, is safe. But the physical things that they thought that they were going to seal have been broken. Uh, everything from the simple, uh, no, the tombs, quote-unquote, uh, to other sorts of, you know, arrangements of stones and and what they would cover as far as symbols and 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 information into the future there were certain initiates that we're only supposed to know and we've decoded it the same crude attempts that we're using today right everybody said okay let's be frank about it okay we'll put it on the blockchain that'll be good for maybe x number of years i don't want to give a number but mm-hmm. maybe for most of our lifetime but that's not the answer either totally it's certainly going to be the short-term answer. There's no doubt about it. So I'm not anti-advocating that we move to some sort of public ledger blockchain. By the way, if Equifax moved to the blockchain the moment it became apparent that this is the way personal information should have been stored, there would have been no hack. This would not have existed. This was held in an open database with a technology. Yeah, but Brian, that's that's so easy said than done. Of you have to understand. Is. No, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here. I'm just telling you the rationality. I, I understand. Yeah. Okay, but, 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 but moving on. It, so because Yeah. Okay, so let's look at the grander picture. The grander picture is it will impact how everybody sees the streamlining process of granting credit. There are going to be your speed bumps, and there are going to be verifications, and there are going to be confirmations, and that will be the first reaction. 
The secondary reaction will probably be, and there already are, congressional hearings, attorney generals, and you said, will somebody go to jail? Nobody went to jail for the 2008 fiasco. I think unlikely that anybody's going to go to jail for the Equifax hack. Even the hackers will probably never be identified. Mm-hmm. And if they're smart, they, they, they did, did what they always do. They go through 300 different comp- uh, countries and companies. They, they point the finger at usual suspects and, and they run away. And it probably isn't who we think it is. And, um, quick question. So, so now, uh, so, so no, we have to move on. And the next question is the next topic is of a lot of interest. Tuesday, 12th September. Yes. We all know what happens then. Do we? Apple. Yeah. Apple gets yeah. to announce have their conference. What do you think is going to be announced? Your predictions, because you are probably one of the biggest Apple fanboys. And I know you have access to them, and there are certain things you can speak about and certain things you cannot speak about. Barring the things you cannot speak about, what are the things that you think will be launched on come two days from now? Uh, thanks for asking, Faisal. Well, this is historic in a sense that we've never been in a moment like this with Apple before. We've been, we've, we've why, had why do you say like that? This. The GM release of iOS 11 was accidentally uh, placed out in the public. And some folks I know, uh, they're on Twitter and now they're being reproduced everywhere, decoded some of the very new announcements that I've known about for quite a long time and I would not have written about. Let me take a step back. But, but Brian, how does a company like Apple accidentally release something? You know, it, it's, it, I it's, mean, it's, it's not, not an accident that uh, this yeah, is... Yeah, it, it can't be an accident, back. right? So it has well, to be something else. No, no, well... Yes and no. All right, so it's not an accident that I'm saying this in, in, the, in the realm of just talking about Equifax. You know... Apple is notorious for the Apple police. I, I know them, you know, I, they, I've talked to them before and I got to take a step back about myself. A lot of people may misunderstand what I do. Over the last seven years, I've been telegraphing out and directly stating what the future is going to be with Apple. My success rate is nearly a hundred percent. The stuff that I talk about is ultimately going to happen. And I derive that information fundamentally and primarily from two sources, patents and my own inductive reasoning. And that is just a way of gravity. Now, with that being said, I do know a lot of folks inside of Apple and a lot of them come to know me because of the work I do in leading up to what Apple is doing. A lot of them are very curious how I determined exactly how Apple Pay would work, exactly how Siri would work, exactly how HomePod is going to be released. I can go down a list of exactly why and how and when the uh, 3.5 millimeter audio jack would be released. Those things that I announced, I directly tie to source material and I show you them. And anybody willing to want to go through source materials can see that. And I speculate on this as a fact. I know it's going to happen, but it's still a speculation because Apple can change its mind. Uh, I made a speculation that Apple is going to make a ceramic body phone. I called it the iPhone X. I use the letter X even though it is representing Roman numeral 10 because of it's a 10th anniversary, it's Apple making a statement, 
There's a whole lot of reasons why the X will be used. And some I'm not even going to say right now because it is confidential. And this is links to my other point. About 90% of what I know that's going to take place on the 12th is not released. It is not in what we've discovered in this release from, I don't want to call them hackers. These are just Apple enthusiasts that had access to information, started looking at it out of curiosity and then putting it out, and then journalists at 9to5Mac and a few others started reproducing it, and that was this weekend. So let's go to what happened. Apple released what is GM, General um, yeah, Golden Master, of iOS 11, which is essentially the latest beta of iOS 11 that I've been using and many have been using for a while. Inside of that is what one could call ROMs, and there really aren't. And by the way, this predates them releasing the full ROMs uh, by accident again of HomePod, which told us what iPhone um, iPhone 10 would look like by the shape and size of the screen. There's something we call a notch on the forehead of the new iPhone 10. The notch holds 3D cameras and the screen has ears on either side of the forehead, if you will, that will show battery uh, level and time. The entire front face of the iPhone 10 is in fact a screen. Touch ID is gone. And I knew this. And I wrote about it. There is no doubt that the Touch ID was going to go either under the screen or replaced by facial recognition uh, using AI technology and a few other things. And um, so what happened with the release is confirmation of things that I sort of telegraphed. But the moment it became public, I felt um, compelled to release those elements that became public and to write about it. So on readmultiplex.com, I have two breakdowns uh, that I'm willing to uh, talk about. And one is called Face ID. It is a replacement to Touch ID. Face ID is using the technology from a number of companies, uh, primarily, um, uh, well, we have, well, we can do a couple. I'll, I'll go down the whole list. Prime Sense and, um, and uh, we can also say that uh, real face, and we can also say uh, even emotion is a part of it. But real face, let's just go with that, and let's go with uh, uh, prime uh, prime sense. What essentially it does is it uses technology of identifying in the face polygons that construct that face. That's one layer of how this works. Another layer is to look at the proportions of those polygons as they change during different emotional states. That's where emotient works come uh, work come into this. Uh, emotient work um, comes from uh, the work of um, the facial action coding of Paul Ekman, who I've been a student uh, many times of. Paul Ekman studied the 43 muscles and the micro-movements of the muscles of the face that determine emotional intent. So I don't want to lose anybody here. Th this element of, um, of face ID is just about how the face moves in these muscles under 
average conditions on most humans and those that have other conditions where there's a palsy or, or some other, uh, thing that, that controls that. Why are we looking at that? Cause no face is solid and static. Even when we pose, there are micro movements within the face that Ekman had, uh, discovered. And some of the emotient technology is going to be used under those circumstances. And then it goes on, uh, to look deeper. And there is a layer below the skin. There's a structure below the skin. And that structure is uh, readable in the movement of blood through the veins, the shape and the arrangement of those veins that can be seen, and the overall infrared image that is devised uh, below the skin. And this technology of face ID is going to be using that. What does it mean? It means, and I don't have access to Apple's actual data. I have university data where a lot of these papers have been presented. Uh, also patent data that I've been studying for the better part of 10 years on this subject. And I can tell you that they are effectively 60% better than a fingerprint. So face ID is actually a more secure form of identification in the Apple environment. It is also much faster, typically, in my guess, about two milliseconds uh, under normal lighting conditions and perhaps three and a half milliseconds. You you haven't even really positioned your thumb over the uh, uh, Touch ID yet under that uh, regard. Now, this is going to inform Apple Pay. And I already de- presented the screens on what that's going to look like. And again, this is stuff that was leaked out. I became activated with this information. To be very clear, I didn't leak it out. I became activated when it became public information. I released what I did know under only those subjects that have been released. I will not talk about the things that I feel morally and ethically not motivated to talk about. I believe Apple has the right to be the ones to disclose it. Uh, if they have disclosed it in patent applications and I can have a good speculative source about the gravity of that, yeah, I probably talked about it. There's other things that haven't been disclosed in prior patent applications and I have no rights to talk about. And none of it has been disclosed or verified by Apple employees. None of it. So to be clear about that. Now, with that same technology, this front-facing camera, we have uh, Face ID. That face ID is unlocking the phone and locking the phone. And there's something called gaze and gaze shift. I don't know if Apple's going to use those words, but these are words that have been used within the technology prior. A gaze is actually looking at the, the device with the intent to unlock it. Now, one can start thinking about this and speculate away because I'm not going to go into too much, anybody listening, into too much of this until after Tuesday because it runs into the grounds that I want Apple to talk about. But I can tell you this. Yes, when you look at your phone, it's going to unlock. When you gaze away, it will lock again, perhaps. There will also be the potential of not unlocking that phone under a certain group of sequences of events where you cannot be compelled to unlock your phone just by somebody showing it to your face. It's number one. Number two, yes, in theory, let's make it very clear. Yes, in theory, just like the fingerprint, one could construct with a great deal of effort and a great deal of time with access to all of the biometric data, 
somebody's face ID, but it will take a lot of time. And I would say that there is a lot of other things that somebody will do. You cannot simply hold a picture and move it around in front of a face ID camera using this technology as I know it. I'm not saying I tested any of Apple's technology, but as I know it through the patents and other scenarios where I've seen the technology before it was acquired uh, by uh, uh, by Apple, um, you know, and this includes a number of companies, PrimeSense, RealFace, FaceShift, um, you know, uh, Emotion. I've seen all of these companies' technology sometimes years before Apple acquired it, and it was out in the public market. So, no, you can't hold a picture of somebody, nor can you take somebody who is sleeping and hold their phone in front of their face and unlock it. Now, get ready. I said it here. We're not at the 12th yet. Get ready for all the fun and games. There's going to be a lot yeah, of people I mean, talking I, I, about yeah. this. The security aspects, you know, I mean, obviously the first thing one would think is, okay, you know, I, ha- I have someone's phone alive or dead, uh, you know, I'm going to use it and fool the camera. Needless to say, the phone is, if, if you're going to go, uh, you know, uh, a step up from the fingerprint game, then needless to say, it's going to do some to have some really cool security features. It would be yeah. very nice to see how uh, the the larger community hack it and see how they could possibly hack it you know well absolutely you know and and it's always going to be fun and i love that uh but the knee-jerk reaction from the armchair critics the anti-apple folks out there are going to have a field day of grandma uh, grandpa and grandma sleeping and a grandkid holds the phone in front of their head and they get access to uh, uh downloading uh you know snapchat i don't know there's going to be all kinds of stuff like that and of course It'll be funny on the surface, but any thinking person would realize that there's technology that's going to disallow that, unless Apple made a critical mistake. And I, I, I assume that there is no more mistakes uh, from this. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty solid about this technology. And like I said, could you simulate the vein activity and the heat map of a human being? In theory, yes, right? But in practice, just simulating the infrared heat map of a human body and a person who is alive is inordinately difficult, but theoretically possible. Um, and I would say this, and I don't want to go too far into uh, the emotion side of it. The emotional state of a human being through Paul Ekman's work is so profoundly accurate that one could assume under an AI condition that if somebody was holding the phone in front of somebody under duress, that the AI can detect it and not unlock and there could be certain movements, certain characteristics of your face that you can use to qualify that you're not under duress. Let's just say that that's a possibility in the future. I'm not saying it's a possibility on uh, September 12th. Now, that same camera is doing something else. I call it an uncanny thing. And this is going to be fun and games, more fun and games for people to make fun of Apple for. And that's called Animoji, A-N-I-M-O-J-I. And this uses a technology of real face and face shift and prime sense, all of these companies across the board. What is it? Well, if anybody goes to read multiplex right now, if the show's out early enough, you can see it. They are animating emojis in real time to your voice and your face. As you talk, the emoji talks, as you express emotion in your face, eye lifts, all of the different activators of your face to 43 muscle combinations, 
they are taking place. And if you go and look at it right now as I'm speaking, watch the expressions in the face. They are uncanny. I use that term in a number of different ways. Uncanny in a sense that the simulation of emotion is better than most Hollywood CGI. And obviously, these are emojis and not humans, so they don't fully cross the uncanny valley. And I urge anybody to read about this ridiculous theory. It is ridiculous in the sense that it was a theory that only existed for a small period of time. And that is, as you get closer and closer to human-like activity, people notice more and more that it's not human-like until the point of it being right there, and it's creepy, and then it bypasses that, and then it's real. And uh, you can see this in some CGI uh, environments. That's all gone when you start using the technology, the face it technology of Paul Ekman and, and, uh, the Emotion team because they understand the way the muscles move in the face while we're emoting. And the face is an emoting transmission system. I don't care who you are, how stone faced you are. You are in fact transmitting information in the micro movements of your facial muscles. You have absolutely no control over it. Uh, in fact, Paul Ekman did work with, um, with monks. Um, in fact, he's a very close friend of the Dalai Lama. And he was able to determine even the most studied meditating monk is emoting in their face constantly. It's stuff that we can't necessarily see unless we're taught to see it. And it's like a superpower that, you know, um, with any power, you have to do good with it. Cause once you know, uh, face it technology, you shouldn't be using it against people for bad purposes. Some say it's a lie detector. It isn't. I mean, people people create deceptions all the time. You can determine very easily using this technology that there's a deception, but you do not have any knowledge on what the premise of that deception is. So is that a lie detector? No. It's just saying that maybe that person's norm, uh, is normal and they're trying to hide certain elements from you that are embarrassing to them or they simply aren't dealing with themselves. A lie to oneself is in fact a deception, right? And deceiving themselves can be transmitted to you and you could say, oh, you have been unfaithful, you know, or whatever. You can use this technology. So I don't want to go down to that much at Black Hole. So what is this called? It's called Animoji. And it is going to be profoundly important because this face mapping technology and this gaze tracking technology is going to inform um, artificial reality and augmented reality. And as we move through what Apple is doing with AR kit and how immersive it, the front facing and the rear facing camera, everybody thinks AR kit is just about the rear facing camera and augmenting the future as looking through this window. I assert when history comes back 10 years from now, an iPhone double X, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm claiming it now, folks. iPhone double X. Name it and claim it. Yeah. I think you need triple to register X. the domain. When, when we get into iPhone triple X, boy. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So yeah. when we get to this let, point. Let, let's not get there. <laughs> yeah. But when we get to the point of seeing how facial mapping and emotional intent extraction will inform Siri. And again, a lot of this is going to start sounding creepy and it should. But we also have to understand that we're going to have some control over this. But somehow no control. And I will loop back to one uh, one premise here and, and, and close it off on Apple with a few other speculations. We well, just talked about Equifax releasing our personal identification information. We are now, after September 12th, going to realize that not only is our 
technology going to really understand who we are by our facial features and know it to a higher degree than any other technology existing. <clears throat> We're also going to learn that the same AI can understand human intent through emotional facial reading. And that will start coming out maybe quickly, maybe slowly. I happen to think it's one of the most important transfers of human information to computer that we've ever experienced. And, you know, it may become very clear in 10 years, but right now it's very important because we are missing a lot of context when we're communicating with a computer, a voice-first AI system. And it has to derive almost all the context purely from the word choices and are the intents of those words and the connection of those words of other sentences, et cetera, the linguistics of it, the philosophy. When we have the facial action along with the words being spoken, we can derive emotional intent and that can inform the understanding of what we truly meant when we asked a voice-first system or the AI system to do something or reacting in a dialogue. And again, this starts getting scary because obviously this will anthropomorphize into a robotic system at some point, and you're going to be facing another face that is using the same technology of 43 muscles moving back and forth, and it's going to be responding to your 43 muscles moving back and forth, and we're going to communicate on a level with technology that we've never seen before. And we will go back to September 12, 2017 as the inception point on when this has taken place. That is how profound this is going to be. Um, I still hold, I still hold by to my prediction that the iPhone, uh, X, again, I'm using the Roman numeral here. I'm calling it X so you can understand that I'm not saying it's iPhone 10 as opposed to iPhone 8 or 7. Um, iPhone X is going to be made of ceramics. Very likely zirconius, zirconian ceramics. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, assume I'm Nostradamus on this stuff, but I think I am right. And I think those people that, uh, gave me a hard time will owe me an apology because my logical underpinnings on why I said it's going to be made out of ceramics one year, it will be on September 12th. 2016, I called it. I said it's going to be made of yeah, ceramics. Yeah. I, I remember you. You had, we had a very detailed show yeah. about it, and uh, and yeah. I took a lot of bruises from very uh, famous it's okay. people. It's okay. It's okay. You are. So a it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun next week, Faisal. Um, uh, you know, a lot of negatives came up in this show. You want to know something? Everybody, listen. Don't worry about this stuff. You know, it, it will work itself out. You don't need to be concerned over, you know, this technology. Just be aware. Be aware. Awareness is more important than cons being concerned. Concern is a worry that may not be attached to anything. Awareness is, hey, I know this is out there. I need to start formalizing my own opinions. And guess what? I need to be flexible enough to change my opinions when my former opinions were invalid. You're going to make opinions about all the technology we talked about today. And they're going to be invalidated by something else. Be big enough to invalidate them and move on. That's all I'm asking. Uh, don't, don't, don't be concerned and worried and, oh boy, I need to do this and react. Act. Act by thinking. Follow along with uh, people like myself and Faisal. And we're all going to learn. I'm going to revise a lot of my uh, understanding of this. I already have. And I think that's probably the biggest theme. 
Uh, I hope people don't walk away from the show feeling that, uh, you know, their identity is gone. Uh, I think that probably already happened a long time ago. <laughs> that's, you know, that's reassuring, Brian, but I don't think so. You know, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if that will help. But anyways, we're out of time. We'll see what happens. Uh, folks, we will try to do a show after the September 12th event. Uh, maybe on Wednesday and just to post uh, sort of an Apple wrap-up. Uh, a quick, uh, quick can... 10 minute, 15 minute maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See if Mr. Brian has some time and we'll definitely put this up. Thank you for coming, sir. Uh, we'll speak next week. Okay, take care. Take care. Bye. Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 